Great day to bless the name of the Lord. Well, we're wrapping up, actually, this morning, um, the book of Titus. Uh, It's been a good journey. I hope it has been um, helpful for you, as it has for me. We're wrapping up the last part of chapter 3 here, and today we're going to be talking kind of a part 2 from last time, and that is the Gospel and Good Works part 2, the Gospel and Good Works part 2. Before we get started, I'd like to pray for us one more time. Lord Jesus, it is a great privilege to, to be here today. We bless your name today, God, we bless you. On the mountaintops, Lord, we bless you in the valleys. We bless you in joy. God, we bless you in sorrow. We bless you on a smooth and level path. God, we bless you when we're walking on hard ground. Lord, we bless your name this morning. And Lord, as we wrap up the book of Titus today, God, I just pray that your spirit would come. That your spirit, Father, would come upon me to speak the truth in love, to speak whatever you would have to say to this, your church, to these, your people. And I pray that that same spirit, God, would inhabit all of our hearts to open the eyes of our hearts, to see, to understand, to hear what you would have to say to us personally, individually, and corporately as a church, that we might be conformed to the divine image, that we might be holy and faithful, that we might be bright and burning lamp for you here in this community. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, as I mentioned, you can turn to Titus 3. We are wrapping up this book. Um, we have seen that Paul has instructions for Titus, sometimes rather stern instructions, for this young and immature church struggling to apply the gospel in all of life. And um, we have seen there that Paul's overarching concern is that the church live in accord with the gospel that they profess. He's concerned that they that their lives look more Cretan than they do Christian. And that's just not going to work. And uh, And Frankly, it can't be tolerated. And so we must consider what Paul is saying to this young leader, which he has left in Crete for the express purpose of setting things in order. To appoint elders, as we talked about. To help lead the church, and to guide it, and to steward it, and to shepherd it in the right path. Uh, Things that he's telling Titus things that he must insist upon in the churches that belong to Jesus Christ. And we've also seen some of these great displays, these great um, teachings on grace. Because grace is the basis of our good works. Salvation is a gift from God, but it is a gift that changes those who receive it. And so we who belong to Jesus Christ can and must live in accordance with the gospel that we profess. 
We have a privilege and duty to portray the beauty and the goodness of Christ who lives in us. And that's the kind of the overarching theme. And that's where we're going to wrap it up this morning as we talk about the gospel and good works part two. If you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We're going to read from Titus chapter three, beginning in verse eight. Look with me in verse eight. It says the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but a foolish, a, but, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me, Send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Lord of God, you may be seated. Okay, so we're going to explore this section here under three headings. Number one, the gospel produces good works. The gospel produces good works. Number two, the gospel preserves unity. The gospel preserves unity. And then number three, the gospel powers love and mission. The gospel powers love and mission. First, we're going to talk about how the gospel produces good works. Paul says in verse 8 that the saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So Paul begins by saying that this saying is trustworthy. So the question, of course, is what saying is he talking about? Well, probably... At bare minimum, he's talking about this saying that he just said in Titus 3, 4 through 7, which we talked about last week, which we said was one of the most richest and densest expressions of the gospel in all of Scripture. And it's worth reminding ourselves uh, what it is. In, in verse 4 there in Titus 3, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So as we said last week, right, God saves us not because we're good, but because he's good. We are saved by not because of anything we have done or could do, but by the sheer mercy and grace of God. By the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. The, 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 the Spirit, if we're a believer in Christ today, it is because the Spirit has come into our hearts and regenerated us, renewed us. We have been born again to see what we were blind to see before. By grace and the Spirit's power, we were able to see that we were desperately lost sinners condemned to hell 
but that God in sheer mercy has given us his son to pay the penalty of sin so that through faith we can receive God's gift that he has given to us through Jesus Christ, be forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future, be adopted into the eternal family of God, and become an heir of every promise God has ever made. That's the gospel. And that's and it's all because of grace. And Paul says this saying is trustworthy. It's trustworthy. You can bank on it. You can bet the whole farm on God's grace. If you are a Christian, you have been born again by the Holy Spirit, regenerated, renewed. All that belongs to God now belongs to you. Because you belong to God through Jesus Christ. And because God is trustworthy and true, because of God's grace has come down into our hearts and into our lives through Jesus Christ, because of that, Paul says... We must be careful to devote ourselves to good works. He just says this over and over again. That if God's grace has come into our lives, we must be people who do good works. Because if God has done good for us and you have truly received that, you will not be able to help but do good to others. That's what he's saying. We must be careful to devote ourselves to good works. And as we've talked about, right, there's a, there's a negative and positive aspect to that. Negatively, to be devoted to good works means to be devoted to not doing bad works. That means we're not going to do things that profane the name of Christ. We're not going to do things that hinder our witness. We're not going to do things that are unkind or unloving. We're going to do things that adorn the gospel of our Savior. We're going to hold one another to the high calling, push one another out of sin and lethargy and apathy into wholehearted, earnest service to the Lord. Positively, it means that we are to do tangible acts of goods, of good that meets real needs for real people. That's what we're to do. That's why church is so important, because you know all those one another commands in Scripture? Well, who are who who are you one anothering? If you don't have a church, the answer is nobody. And that means you're disobeying every single one of the one another commands in the Bible. But if we're part of a church, right, in our church family, we have these commands and we have our one another's whom we are living out together the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the glory of the church. That's the glory of the people. That's the glory of good works. Freely we've received, so freely we give. And notice there that, that it's emphatic language. It says, be careful to devote themselves to good works. It, it, it can almost be translated, uh, take, take care to be careful <laughs> to do good works. He, he, he's doubling up on the, the emphasis there. In other words, so just think, that's the, that's the command. Be careful to devote yourself to good works. So this is God telling me, telling you, telling our church that we must be careful to devote ourselves to good works. That it's not something that we can be slack on. It's not something that we can be lazy on when it comes to doing good. See needs, meet needs. Find a place of service. Find your niche. Find <laughs> There's going to be lots of needs here coming up in the future of our church. The question is not that. The question that you need to ask, that I need to ask, that everybody needs to ask themselves is, what is God calling me to do to serve Him in this season of my life and in this season of our church? 
I guarantee you what the, I can tell you for sure that what the answer is not nothing. It's something. You just got to figure out what it is. And so you pray and you ask God and you say, God, what can I do? And sometimes that is just, there's a need and you meet it. Your favorite thing in the world might not be to change a dirty diaper, but guess what? You can change a dirty diaper to the glory of God. And there's going to be lots of mothers way closer to Jesus than me at the table of the kingdom of God. Because they serve faithfully the children who are gifts of God. So find a place that you can serve Jesus and then do it with all your heart. Because God's grace has come in our hearts so that we do good for others. Be the good Samaritan. Go out of your way to show people the love of Christ. Inconvenience yourself to do something good for others. That's what Christ, that's literally the call of Christ. Look, if we only do good to people when it's easy for us, you don't need Jesus to do that. An unbeliever can do that. What we need Jesus to do is to help people and to do good for people when it's inconvenient, when it's hard, when it's sacrificial. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Freely we've received, so freely we must give. So see a need, meet a need. Think about your friends, uh, neighbors, co-workers, especially those who don't know Christ, and say, what can you ask? Ask God, what can I do to show the love of Christ to this person? Spread the love. Find a lonely person. Just spend time with them. Invite them to your small group, your home, and to your family. Paul says that these things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, people there, again, I think it probably means people in general, not just Christians in particular, but he's probably talking about people in general because as Paul has, as he seemed to, his concern, this whole letter has been the concern that our, our behavior as Christians says something to the lost and unlooking onlooking world. And our good works bear witness that Christ really does make a difference in our lives. And so when we live like Jesus has called us to live with lives full of good works, they are excellent and profitable for people. It shows people the truth about Jesus. And so the question that this, this begs ourselves, I mean, because we just... You know, we just, we just, the temptation, right, is to say, oh, them Cretans are so bad. I'm glad I'm not like that. That's the temptation. And to just keep this 2,000 years in the past, forgetting that God wants to say something today. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, where is it in my life that I look more like a Cretan than like a Christian? Because I'm sure there's some point in all of our lives. Where I look more like the culture than like Christ. And so to ask ourselves, does Christ really make a difference in my life? What am I doing now in my life that I wouldn't do if I wasn't saved? What difference is Jesus making in my life? And, 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 and be willing to seek God and ask Him for opportunities to serve. And to show the love of Christ. Because it's not optional. Be careful to devote ourselves to good works. 
This is the call of God upon those who have received grace. So number one, the gospel produces good works. Number two, the gospel preserves unity. The gospel preserves unity, verses 9 through 11. It says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So, we see here uh, that Paul, and I believe he's he's referencing these uh, these false teachers and things that he mentioned back in chapter 1. And so, those people have never left Paul's mind. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 10, he described these people as insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. And so, as, as we've said before, these seem to be people who enjoyed the spiritual influence they had uh, within the church, okay, even though they didn't really even understand what they were talking about. And they puffed themselves up against Paul's rightful authority so that they could enjoy it for themselves. And Paul uh, commanded Titus in chapter 1, verse 13, to rebuke them sharply, he says, that they may be sound in the faith. And so, as we said, that that statement from Paul clearly implies that he believes that some of these people, at least, were in fact genuinely converted, but they were just living in error. They got puffed up. Okay? And that happens. That can happen to Christians. And Paul says, so they need to be rebuked sharply so that they can be sound in the faith. And uh, the idea of a sharp rebuke is uh, uncomfortable to our southern sensibilities. Uh, but that is part of the responsibility of the church. And to Titus, this meant confrontation and unwillingness to tolerate their troublemaking within the church. Because, Paul says, if you remember there in chapter 1, that they were upsetting whole households by their antics. Okay, They were causing a stir that was bringing strife and tension throughout the entire church. And so Paul's instructions here are very important to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. These were unprofitable and worthless. And so notice there's the contrast there. He just said that good works are profitable for all people, but quarrels, controversies, and dissensions are unprofitable and worthless. This is probably referring to some of the speculative ways that some of the Jews would uh, interpret the Old Testament scripture, drawing out all kinds of contrived teachings from the text. Um, and that shouldn't surprise us because anyone with an agenda can go to a passage of Scripture, take a verse out of context, and make it say whatever they want to say. It's not really that hard to do. Okay? But, but for Paul, right, he's saying that we just, we can't do that. Right? Those who get caught on about, who get caught on some fine point of doctrine, or who get bent out of shape about some tradition. Okay? He, he's saying there, th- those people who, who do that, they, they, they fail to keep the main thing, the main thing. It ends up causing division within the church and it needs to be rebuked and it needs to be dealt with. It is the responsibility of Christians to keep Christ central to the church. And so it's not saying that, it's not saying that some secondary matters aren't important. 
But part of Christian maturity and part of the church is to say, there are things that are essential that we must stand firm on. And then there are things that are secondary that perhaps are less clear in Scripture that we can hold a little bit more open-handed. And part of Christian maturity is being firm on the essentials and and exhibiting charity on the secondary matters. And so there, so there are two, there are two kind of errors here that, that can end up happening. If somebody fudges on the essentials, well, then that's a big problem, right? So if you deny something, if they were denying, if you're denying a core tenet of the Christian faith, that's not a small problem, that's a big problem. So if they're denying the, the exclusivity of Christ, uh, if they're denying the Bible's teaching on sexual ethics, if they're denying the Trinity, or the, uh, or the bodily resurrection of the dead. Those are not tertiary matters. Those are matters central to the Christian faith. Okay? And so, those cannot be budged upon. But then there are secondary matters that are less clear, and that if somebody gets bent out of shape about those, and begins causing divisions in the church, that's another issue that needs to be dealt with as well. And so Paul says here there that a person in verses 10 and 11 who stirs up division within the church should be warned once and then twice and then afterward the church is to have nothing to do with them. Well, that should sound familiar because that's Jesus's instructions on church discipline. You go to them once personally, you go to them twice with maybe one or two other people. So two personal confrontations to address the issue of sin, and then if they can continue to refuse to repent on the issue, then they're to be removed from the church. Have nothing to do with them, Paul says. Which this is, this is remarkable, but what, what it's essentially saying, so like, we think, you know, when we, when churches think of church discipline, if churches even practice church discipline, they think maybe, maybe adultery or some kind of gross sexual morality. That's about the only thing that people really think of as an excommunicable offense. Paul says divisiveness is an excommunicable offense. A person can be removed from the church for being a divisive person. That's what Paul's saying. The, The word there for a person who stirs division is where we get the English word heretic from. But it didn't, at that time, however, it didn't strictly mean a person who embraced theological error, but it just referred to a person who was a schismatic. They departed from the truth or the ways of the true church, okay, and were trying to stir up others in doing so and causing schisms, okay? And so for Paul, anybody who takes a non-essential issue or their pet beliefs or something they're upset about and seeks to stir others up around that causing division, is that's the kind of person Paul's referring to, all right? Divisiveness, according to Paul, as we said, is an excommunicable defense. Uh, offense. Why is, why is unity so important? In John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. The greatest testimony, and believe me, this is only going to become more true. This is only going to become more true. The greatest witness and testimony we have as Christians is the ability of Jesus Christ to unify otherwise diverse people. 
in a world like today, that, my friends, is clearly supernatural. Because a people who can truly say, you know what, Jesus is more important than this, or this, or this, or this, that, that the culture thinks is so important. And I'm saying, no, Jesus is more important than that, and I'm going to be united with other Christians who share Jesus with me, even if we don't agree on everything. Because Jesus matters more. That's not natural. It's supernatural. And that's what Jesus said. By all this, by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so if you destroy unity within the church, you destroy literally our greatest witness to a lost and unbelieving world. It uniquely displays the glory of Christ when people who differ on things are able to set aside those differences for the greater glory of Christ. And that is, in fact, what happens in the book of Revelation. Just let me remind you of this first verses here in Revelation 7. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So notice here, you got all these people from all times in human history, from all different cultures. They all look different. They don't even speak the same language. And yet, they're all together as one body. Why? Because they're singing praise to Jesus. Because Jesus is greater than our human differences. And so by grace, we must preserve unity. Even, as Paul says here, if it requires removing a divisive person from among us. So number one, the gospel produces good works. Number two, the gospel preserves unity. Finally, number three, the gospel powers love and mission. The gospel powers love and mission. Verse 12 says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me and Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. <laughs> it's just over and over again. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. You know, as I was going through the book of Titus, something struck me that never has struck me before. And especially these these last verses, because, you know, usually when, you re- when you're preaching through a letter and you get to these last verses, you're just kind of like, I don't know what to do with those. But here, it just, what really struck me is that these instructions to Titus reveal how much Paul was a missionary and a missionary strategist. Okay, I want you to think about that. Titus was part of Paul's missionary team. His church planning team, right? So Paul viewed himself as a proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles, those who were far off from God, those pagan idolaters who didn't have the law, didn't have the promises, didn't have anything. And yet Jesus came for them too. And so Paul is a proclaimer of the gospel 
and he's a planter of churches, which is what, which is really the missionary task, right? To preach the gospel, but not just preach the gospel, but to plant churches. So everywhere Paul went and everywhere he preached the gospel, wherever people believed, it was understood that those believers in a local context now constituted a church because they now together had the task and responsibility and privilege of living out the commands and call of Christ in their individual context with other believers. And that was that was Paul's mission. That was Paul's job. And Titus was part of Paul's missionary team. And so he left Titus in Crete not to be the pastor of the Cretan church, but to appoint elders, to appoint pastors, to appoint people within the church who would be able to lead the church in a healthy way out of the Cretan culture and into the call of Christ to set the church in order to get it on right footing. So while we can gloss over these final instructions, I think they're actually very important to understand uh, the role and posture of a church toward the broader mission of God. He says there to, to help Zenos and Apollos and to, and to speed them on their way. Okay? We see here how the gospel powers love and mission. Paul, so again, for Paul, everything is of grace. Everything. I worked harder than them all, but not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, the saying is trustworthy, kind of like he just said here, and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into, into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So Paul, somehow, viewed himself as the chief of sinners, and he never got over God's grace. And God's grace in his life made it unthinkable for him to do anything but to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To see other people know him. And that was the call of God upon his life. And, and so everything he's doing is to accomplish that goal. And so he, when he tells the church in Crete to speed along Zenos, uh, the lawyer, and Apollos, right? And he says, see that they lack nothing. Because what? Because he understands that not everybody was called to do what Paul was called to do, but everybody has a role to play in the broader mission of the kingdom of God. So Paul was a missionary. He had a missionary team. Zenos and, and Apollos were going to be coming through Crete and the church in Crete, because God's grace had extended to them, he understood that they would want to take part in the extension of God's grace to other people. And so even though they might not be called to missionary work themselves, it was their responsibility and privilege to see that these missionary laborers had everything that they needed to be sent on to the work that God had called them to do. So Titus and the Cretan Christians are to show hospitality and provide for their means and ensure that they had whatever they need to continue on their missionary labors. And all of that, in Paul's mind, again, all of this is part of grace. Grace has come to us and if grace has come to us, grace must come out of us. That's how it works. And if we are grateful that someone shared the gospel for us, we need to be about the business of sharing the gospel with others. And somebody, bless God, the, the, the pilgrim forebears, or whatever you want to call it, all these people that 
in God's providence brought the gospel halfway across the world so that 2,000 years later we can sit in Eastman, Georgia worshiping Jesus Christ. That's not an accident. It was people leaving their homes, leaving their lands, sacrificing themselves to make Christ known. And, and behind, and behind every missionary, behind every person who went, there was multitudes of people who sent. Who said, we're going to make sure that this person can get there so that they can know about Jesus. Which is why we, which is why we give and we support missionaries. And we must continue to do that. And we must care about that. And we must do that. It's not just, you know, this whole Southern Baptist thing, this whole cooperative program thing. This whole uh, Annie Armstrong, Lottie Moon thing. It's not just like we made it up. There are people who don't know Jesus. And God is raising up people to go. And God is calling His church to send them. And so we can, you know, and so we can sit very happy in the American dream with nice stuff and nice things while people are dying and going to hell. We can live on a cruise ship or we can live on a battleship. But it's two different ways of living. And Paul understands that the gospel has come in power to regenerate the Christians, to renew their hearts so that they can be transformed, so that they can renounce sinful ways, so that they can participate in the mission of God. The same work that brought them salvation, they can now participate in it to bring Salvation to others. And this is what Paul said that the grace of, and the love of God would do. In first, uh, excuse me, second Corinthians five, verse 14 says the love of Christ controls us, controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's the gospel. That's, that's what the love of Christ does when it has been poured into your heart. It controls us. It, 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 it makes us participants in the ministry of reconciliation. We become ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And that's Paul's theological understanding, right? When you tell someone about Jesus, God is speaking to that person. You understand that, right? Like like you literally in that moment become the mouthpiece of God. And through the words of the gospel, that forgiveness of sins comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Through that word, God is speaking. And, li- and listen, when God speaks, things happen. Let 
and we can become his mouthpiece. When we love people and share the gospel here and abroad. The love of God put forth in the gospel changes us. And that's what he says. Again, he he mentions good works again. Help cases of urgent need. The point is, is that the gospel changes us. It makes us people who are zealous to do good works. It enables us to set aside sin and self and pride and put others before ourselves and Christ above everything, including our preferences, so that unity might reign and that a supernatural witness might be poured forth to a divided world. Look, y'all, the world's a mess. We shouldn't expect it to be any different. We were messes. And still are. But Jesus has come. We have the solution to the world's problems. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a political party. It's not a government. It's not a program. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. And the fact of the matter is one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But we have the privilege, we have the privilege of telling people ahead of time, hey look, Jesus is King and he died for us. And you can bow the knee to King Jesus right now and receive unfettered access to the kingdom of God. But if that king comes back and you're not reconciled to him, it's too late. It's too late. And so we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for a king and a kingdom that's on its way. Freely we've received So freely we must give. So let's be the people of God, church. Let's be people who never get over God's grace. Let's be people who love people because God has loved us. Ask God to give you a tangible act of good to do something to do, to do for someone this week. Ask God to give you an opportunity to speak the truth and love of Christ to somebody. To be his mouthpiece. Ask God to preserve unity in our midst. To be ambassadors for the kingdom. And for our king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for grace. Oh Lord, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it, God. Please help us. Never cease to be amazed at your grace. And help us, God, be people. Help me to be people that are full of grace. Just like you were, Jesus, full of grace and truth. God, help us, Lord, to do that well. 
Help us, Lord, to lift up our eyes. Lift them up away from ourselves. Lift them up to you. Lift them up to others. Help us to see, God. Help us to see what's around us. Help us to see the people that are around us. Help us to see the needs that are around us. Help us to see the opportunities that you put in front of us every day to share with others the love and the goodness of Christ. Help us, God, to be careful to devote ourselves to good works, to show the world how good you are. And finally, Lord Jesus, I pray that maybe your spirit for the first time has spoken to somebody's heart this morning. They don't know that grace because it hasn't yet entered into their heart. I pray this morning that by the power of your spirit, your grace would break through into their heart. Helping them see, Jesus, that you are good, that you are true, that you are better than our, than, than us, better than our desires, better than whatever else we would pursue in this world. You're better. And I pray that they would reach out in their hearts this morning by faith to you. Ask for your forgiveness. Ask you to come into their lives and change them. To become part of the family of God. It's in Christ's name we pray.